Well, hello everyone and welcome to the Speak Up podcast. And today we have a super duper special guest from up in the Northeast is Mr. Bruce Tolgan, who is the founder of Rainmaker Thinking. And Bruce has just written this extremely cool book that you're going to want to read because it's, it's just amazing. Listen, just listen to this title. The Art of Being Indispensable at Work, colon, Win Influence, Beat Over Commitment, and Get the Right Things Done. So welcome, Bruce. Oh, thank you so much for having me on uh, the podcast. It's my pleasure. And I want our audience to know that Bruce actually started his professional life as an attorney, but we will not hold that against him. And he was not an attorney for very long. So walk us through how you went from uh, what that profession of, you know, you went through all the trouble going to law school, you passed the bar, you practiced law, and then you made a change. Like what happened? Yeah, well, I like to say I was only a lawyer for 428 days back in the early 90s, so please don't hold that against me. Um, but, uh, you know, I was working uh, as a lawyer at number two Wall Street in New York Whoa. City, uh, at, at the second oldest law firm in America, doing corporate transactions. But I was 25 years old. So I was running around doing what the grown-ups told me. And uh, I began to get very curious about the experience of people uh, of my generation. Uh, back then, the young people were Generation X. And um, I had conversations with some of the older, more experienced lawyers. Some of the partners at the law firm uh, were frustrated about the younger, less experienced people. Uh, and uh, this led me to start doing in-depth interviews. And um, I thought, you know, I'm going to write an article called What Your Young Employees Are Whispering About Over Lunch. <laughs> uh, and, and that turned into my first book, which was Managing Generation X. And that book came out in uh, 1995. Mm -hmm. And for a long time, there were more news stories about that book than the number of books that had been sold. Uh, wow. But, you know, everyone heard of it. Uh, people would say, oh, yeah, I read your book. And I'd say, I doubt it. <laughs> I bet you read about my book. Right. But uh, then people started calling and uh, asking if I could come uh, give a talk to their leaders, managers, supervisors. Uh, come uh, give them some advice about the younger, less experienced people in their organizations. And remember, it was the 90s, and um, so everyone was afraid of Generation Xers. It was the first uh, dot-com boom in the late 90s. Uh, and, and we've been doing research on the front lines of the workplace ever, ever since. Very, oh, very cool, very cool. Well, you've written a, a whole boatload of books, and... Did your training in, as in a lawyer, did that help you write books? Is that with all the briefs, does that translate into writing a book? I think law school helped me learn how to think and learn how to learn and learn how to recognize good data from bad data, good arguments from bad arguments. Um, but, uh, 
writing for a general audience is very different from writing for a judge yes. writing legal documents. <laughs> so, yes, and you don't have the constraints of, um, of dealing with the legal system. But anyway, I just find that super cool. So a book about being indispensable at work. What a cool title. So what was it? What's the story behind this particular book, your latest one? Well, one of the things we do is we go into organizations and do uh, organizational assessments. We do talent reviews, uh, trying to understand where there are risks and opportunities hiding in the organization, uh, where there are people who maybe uh, are uh, undervalued, uh, where there are people who maybe can add more value in a different role. Uh, and we do a lot of consulting, a lot of management training. And over the years, one of the questions I always ask in our organizational talent reviews, I always ask everybody, hey, who are your go-to people? Mm -hmm. And it's become a real source of interest over the years for me. Uh, the people who end up on those lists over and over and over again, uh, and you can see them. Everyone knows those go-to people. Most people have go-to people. Uh, if you really have lots of go-to people, there's a pretty good chance you're a go-to people. I, I often say to people, you know, if you don't know what I'm talking about, there's a decent chance you're not a go-to people. <laughs> go-to, what does that mean? Yeah, and, and so- yeah, Right, exactly. So these go-to people, they're the ones uh, that their their colleagues rely on them the most. They're the ones who, uh, hey, if I need something, uh, you're the one I'm going to go to to get my needs met on time, uh, on spec, uh, in ways that are likely to be lower friction, in ways that are likely to um, improve the working relationships, especially the, the people who end up on those lists over and over and over again. Uh, so for a long time, I've been uh, interested in what do these people have in common? Mm -hmm. uh, and, and especially in today's workplace, uh, you know, I finished this book just before the pandemic uh, really began to emerge. Uh, so this book was not written for the pandemic, but it was written for a workplace in which people feel like uh, they're dealing with more and more people uh, at work, not just their immediate boss and their immediate team members, uh, but, but people who are diagonal on the organization chart, uh, people who are their lateral colleagues, uh, maybe they manage some folks uh, or maybe they don't. Maybe it's people who are diagonal uh, uh, in a different direction. It's, you know, but, but everybody uh, is fielding more and more requests from their colleagues up, down, sideways, and diagonal all over the organization. Uh, sometimes people say to me, oh, I get requests from people I don't even know. Uh, you know, you get a right. request by email, by, uh, you get a phone call, uh, maybe you're in a meeting and, and there's some crosstalk, somebody stops you in the hallway, uh, and, and it's not just your boss anymore who's making requests, right? We're all uh, customers of each other, mm -hmm. and everybody is our internal customer. And one of the things that uh, led me to write this book is that so many people were saying to me, uh, 
fielding all of these requests from so many people all the time. I'm, I'm overcommitted all the time. Right. I bet. Uh, I'm, right. I'm trying to work harder and harder. I'm trying to juggle priorities. Uh, so this increasingly demanding workplace in which lines of authority are often not so clear uh, and in which people, uh, have to deal with so many factors outside their own control uh, because it's not just that everybody's coming to you with requests but all of a sudden you have to rely on somebody who's sideways in the organization over here somebody who doesn't report to you doesn't report to your boss how do you hold that person accountable we're right. all relying on each other so much. We're all trying to do more and more and more with less and less and less. Uh, and we're dealing with so many factors outside our control, so many relationships outside clear lines of authority. And I began to hear more and more and more from people that this was the number one thing that was difficult about their jobs. Uh, it was the thing that was the hardest for them. Uh, and it, it, it rose to the top as a, a problem set that I wanted to look at our research. We've been doing research on the front lines of the workplace for 27 years now. So we have a lot of data. And I didn't realize that where I was going to find this solution was in the common denominators of those go-to people. Mm -hmm. You know, what I started to think was, well, okay, who are the people who are not struggling uh, right. as much? Uh, who are the people who are not succumbing to overcommitment? They're not drowning in priorities, uh, but people still want to go to them over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. And uh, that, that's what led to this book. Very interesting. I can tell we work in the same world because, but I hear these same problems, but of course I'm dealing with individuals who want help and managing this communication wise. And a lot of times they don't have clarity on what they're supposed to be doing or, and then so it's about, oh, guess what? You have to decide that. That's why you're there, not to follow orders, but to add value. And uh, I know that one of your uh, keys or one of the things that you teach in your book about being indispensable is to make yourself valuable to others. And you just talked about that, but specifically if you know, how, how do you, what is your recipe or what do you, what do you say for somebody who wants to become more valuable? Say they've been a little bit reticent, a little bit quiet and doing their job and doing their work, but they feel like they're overlooked a little bit. So they need to add more value. What would you say to that? Well, I think what happens is uh, that when, when people say, um, well, I, I, I want to be indispensable. I want right. to be one of those go-to people. But what happens is, uh, so I think, okay, I'm going to be valuable. That's the way to do it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be one of those go-to people. Well, then the problem is people start going to you and you say, yes, yes, uh -huh. yes, because you want to be valuable. Right. You want to add value. So you say, yes, yes, yes. You don't want to say no. After all, that's no way to be indispensable. Right. That's right. no way to be a go-to person. But, but the conundrum, what, what made it seem like an unsolvable problem, what made me really interested in this 
was this puzzle that how if you want to be a go-to person, if you want to be indispensable, uh, the problem is it, it, it makes you very susceptible to overcommitment syndrome. Right. right. You start, you want to say yes to everyone. You feel like right. if you say no, they're not going to come back to you. Right. If you say no, you might get overruled and right. then you'll have to do it anyway, but with bad feeling. <laughs> uh, it, right. Um, if you say no, they'll just keep badgering you and badgering you. If you say no, maybe they'll go to somebody else and they'll have a different go-to person. Here's the problem. Uh, so you say, okay, I get it. I want to be valuable. I want to be indispensable. I'm going to say yes, 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 yes. But if you say yes to everyone and everything, you get overcommitted. And then what happens? You start trying to outwork everyone, but there's only so much you can work harder and harder and harder. Right. You start juggling competing priorities. If you're juggling competing priorities, what happens? Eventually, you're going to drop the ball. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and what ends up happening is you start uh, making mistakes, you start dropping balls, uh, you start uh, causing delays, you end up with relationship friction as a result of that. Pretty soon, you're so overcommitted, you feel like you have to say no. Right, and, and you're you become dispensable. No. Yeah, you're all of a sudden you're saying no, 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 because you're 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 overwhelmed, you're overcommitted. I don't have time for one more thing. Mm -hmm. uh, these are forced no's, mm -hmm. and and um, or maybe you have a boss who comes to you and says, "Look, you got to start saying no because right. uh, you're you're doing things for other people, but you're not delivering for me." Right. One way or the other. No, yes, 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 leads to no, 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 right? You get siege mentality. You're drowning in other people's priorities. All of a sudden you have siege mentality. Maybe you burn out. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe you burn out and leave and go somewhere else. And then pretty soon you find yourself in, a, in the same pickle all over again. Right. Or, or maybe you burn out and become part of the bad attitude crowd here, you know? Right, exactly. <laughs> or, or in a hospital, you know, with exhaustion yeah. or something. But, but, but what most people do is they regain, they bounce back, they mm -hmm. regain control of their time. They say, okay, now I, I'm going to try to be a go-to person again. Uh -huh. So they start saying, yes, 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 yes. And they get right back into the same problem. Right. So they need criteria. Yeah. I mean, so what I started to realize was there are a lot of wannabe go-to people. There are a lot of imposters. There are a lot of um, former go-to people. <laughs> there are a lot right. of sometimes go-to people. And they're the ones who are, gee, you know, I went to that person last time and they were great. And this time I went to them and they didn't deliver or uh, they, they, I went to them this time and they said, no, no, no. Uh, so I, I wanted to untangle this and figure out, well, the people who are go-to people who stand the test of time, mm -hmm. what is it that they do differently? And that, that's what I was trying to untangle and figure out in this book. And uh, as I went through our data, uh, we, we've, we've interviewed more than a half a million people from oh my goodness. 400 organizations over 27 years. Uh, and, and I started to look for the common denominators. And as I uh, started to put the puzzle together, 
I got really excited and I realized, I think this is a book. Yes, for sure. For sure. Well, how would you, I mean, to me, what you're describing a little bit with the go-to person is also somewhat of a people pleaser, like a person who can't say no. So how do you, is that the same syndrome, the same uh, situation where you're just, you want to please everybody. So you just say yes to everything. Is, is well, that the, well, well, that's the wannabe go-to. Uh, okay. It turns out that if you want to, if it, it turns out that the go-to people who stand the test of time, um, they understand that you got to play the long game. Right. Uh, and, and they understand that the long game is played one moment at a time. Mm -hmm. uh, they understand that if you really want to be valuable, uh, then you've got to be reliable. Uh, mm -hmm. If you really want to be valuable, you've got to make sure that you're uh, making really good decisions about yes and no. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and you've got to make sure that you're aligned with your chain of command, uh, that you have clarity mm -hmm. uh, and, um, and that you are uh, working as smart as you can, that you're not juggling, but finishing what you start so you can deliver for people. And that it's that, that, you know, you said people pleaser. I love that because in fact, um, sometimes people get the wrong idea that you, you say, well, you know, it's, it's all about relationships. Mm -hmm. And then they think, well, that means um, making best friends at work right. or it means politics at work. Uh, and, and whereas at work, see, if the work goes wrong, the relationships <laughs> go wrong. Right. If the work goes right, the relationships go right. So um, uh, this is what led me to write this book was when I began to realize that the fundamentals are what real go-to people who stand the test of time, uh, they, they have confidence in their ability to build a track record and a reputation in the longer term uh, by making really good choices every step of the way in the short term. Uh, and I wanted to unpack that and be able to put it into uh, a set of concrete steps that people could really follow. Right. Really developing kind of a criteria or a philosophy of alignment that if, if your request is in alignment with my vision of my, my, definition of being indispensable, then I will say yes. And if it's not, I will say, I'm not the best person for this job. Why don't you try Bruce? Yeah. And in fact, you know, one of the chapters uh, later in the book uh, is work smart. And, and one of the things I try to unpack there is uh, this uh, thing that so many people think so often, but, you know, usually say to themselves, that's not my job and that there's a sort mm -hmm. of wisdom right. that's not my job. Well, yeah, it's, it's a tricky issue because that's also considered like bad attitude. Oh, you can't say that's not my job. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And so, 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 um, uh, I, I can see that, uh, we know a lot of the same people. Maybe because, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's, it's, you know, what, what I, at first I thought, okay, well, being a go-to person means being great at your job. Well, mm -hmm. sure. 
It means working really hard. Well, sure. It means having a great attitude. Well, sure. It, you know, there's got to be more to it. And that's what I, uh, that's what I was so excited about um, when, when I put the puzzle together. Right, because well, what I have discovered have scars to prove it that the doing the good job, the good attitude, all that is just table stakes, you know. And exactly. That gets, that gets you at the table, <laughs> but it doesn't. Get, it's not like school where you turn in the paper on time and it's what the teacher asks for. You get an A and a pat on the back. It doesn't. I mean, you can. It doesn't work like that. It's, if you if you're interested in moving up an organization. You have to build influence, for example, and you have a mathematical approach. So tell me about what the heck is that? Yeah, well, I'll tell you. Uh, so one of the things I, I, I wanted to explore was, well, what are all the best answers out there? We mm -hmm. say, okay, so people say, uh, oh, they keep telling me to work things out at my own level but I don't have authority to work right. at my own level. There are competing priorities. There are competing egos. So, <laughs> oh, well, no problem. There's conventional wisdom for that. The new conventional wisdom is if you don't have authority, you got to use influence. Well, what the heck does that mean? <laughs> people, people would say to me, um, well, what does that mean? And, and I'd say, well, let's try to figure out what that means. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and, and so what some people think it means is using influence, like saying, hey, if you do this for me, I'll do that for you. Right. Tit for tat. The, yeah. the quid pro quo. Right. But the implication there is if you don't do this for me, I, 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 then I won't support you in the future. I'll withhold yeah. support. I'll freeze you out. Right. That's really, that's really a threat. Um, or, or, you know, some people say, oh, well, the way I use influence is I just follow up every five minutes. Well, that's called badgering. <laughs> Annoying. Uh, you know, or, or some people say, oh, well, I bake brownies. Well, really, that's a bribe. Yes. Um, you know, or yes. some people say, oh, well, um, well, I try to uh, flatter people and ingratiate mm -hmm. myself. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, yeah, that's just, uh, uh, that's, that's, that's Good in a very small dose. <laughs> paper thin, paper thin, right? Or some people, oh, well, I just, I, people don't want to mess with me. Oh, so you mean you're a bully, right? <laughs> uh, right. So, right. so Yay. Right? What, what's interesting about this is these are all poor stand-ins for authority. Mm. Right? So what is authority? Authority means that you have position power in the organization chart. It means you, uh, according to the rules, uh, you have control over rewards and punishments. Mm -hmm. uh, or if your authority is less, sometimes people will say, well, I have the position, but I don't really have the authority because I, 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 there's nothing I can do, right? Right. So, so, but what is influence that's different? Is influence just a poor stand-in for authority? I hope not. So, so what, as I began to take apart, well, when people say, oh, that person really has influence, often what they mean is, or usually what they mean is, I want to do things for that person. Right. Or I see it's in my interest to do things. Well, I want to support that person. I want to do things for that people, I, or that person. I want to make good use of that person's time. I want that person to want to work with me. Right. Uh, it's not just because of the quid pro quo. Right. It's because of how that person conducts him or herself. Mm -hmm. It's because of how that person operates. Uh, right. That, that person uh, is someone that that person's a go-to person. 
Right. And so, so the reason I call it the peculiar mathematics of real influence is it's incredibly valuable, but you can't really use it. Uh, my, you, if you start to use it, you lose it. When you try to use influence to get your way with someone, it makes them want to do less for you. It makes right, them, it becomes transactional and feels a little slimy. And, and it, ma it, it makes them root against you instead of right. rooting for you. Uh, right. what, what makes people root for you is when they have a high opinion of you when they appreciate who you are and how you operate and, and, and they appreciate that you're somebody who does business in a professional way. You're somebody who does good work. You're somebody who's good to work with. Uh, you, you, you know, so if in the short term, I want to win influence with you by over promising, well, gee, if I don't deliver for you, yeah, it's not going to, you're going to know me by my failure to deliver, not by my over promising. Um, so right. the, the, the reason it's so peculiar, real influence is so peculiar because my influence lives in your brain. That's right. It does. Right? My yeah. influence lives in your heart and your mind. Um, so, so uh, I can, if I, the more I really truly serve you by making one good decision after another, mm -hmm. uh, the, the more you think well of me, the more you, you, you want me to succeed because of how I operate, how I conduct myself. So, uh, so that's why I call it peculiar mathematics because um, you, you can build it up over time and it's incredibly valuable, uh, but, but you, you can't really use it. Right. It, and it, so, um, so, so if you think about all the, the stand-ins for authority, uh, if you try to bribe me, does that make me, do, do, does that really build your influence with me? It might get your way with me in the short term. Right. But right? it's but, not but, a but, long but, game. But now what if I say to you, gee, that's not how I operate. I'm not susceptible to bribes. Uh, I'm going to do this for you because it's my job. If it's a good idea, I'm going to do this mm -hmm. for you. You don't have to bake brownies for me. Um, right. And then you, that, then, 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 do you think more highly of me or less? Yes. Right. Or, 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 for example, if you start bullying me, and I say, "Hey, wait a minute," oh. uh, you don't have to bully me. Right. This is my job. If this is the right thing for the business, I'm going to do this regardless of your bullying. Right. But I certainly don't have respect for you. Yeah. If you badger me, I might right. say, hey, look, why don't we set a, a, a conversation twice a week so we can really talk through the progress on this? You mm -hmm. don't need to badger me. Why don't we, maybe you're badgering me because you're not confident that I'm going to take care of your need. Oh, well, it's, if I'm the kind of person who builds real influence, then I'm going to say to you, gee, maybe you're worried I'm not going to meet your need. Uh, how often should we have a conversation so I can make sure and apprise you of where I am on that? And right. give you, that gives you more confidence. It makes you want to work with me. Right, right. And, and, and it sounds to me like, or it seems to me that having clarity about what you're about, where you're going, where your priorities are, how you're aligned that is a big piece of this. And yet a lot of people are just like, you know, the firemen or firefighters. 
putting things out. So what do you, how, you know, what is your opinion or your strategy for like getting really clear on your game plan or your rules of engagement for being indispensable? Yeah. So first is the philosophy. You want to really, truly be valuable. That doesn't mean doing everything for everyone all the time. It means doing the right things at the right time for the right reasons as best you possibly can. Mm -hmm. Doing them in the right order, uh, sequence, timing. Uh, and so, so that's the philosophy. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and you have to understand that if I can't beat over commitment, I'm never going to be able to play the long game of being valuable. Right. So I've got, I've got, if I real, want real influence, mm -hmm. I've got to beat over commitment. And right. that means I've got to get the right things done for the right reasons in the right order over time. So how do you do that? There mm -hmm. are five steps. Mm -hmm. Step one is make sure you are aligned. Mm -hmm. And so I call it lead from wherever you are. Because so much, look, if you're the boss, right. this isn't as big of an issue. You can just use authority. Right. Uh, now, now, if you're a smart boss, you also want to have influence. Right. Uh, but, but it's really that in this collaboration revolution workplace, mm -hmm. where we're trying to push authority down the chain of command, get rid of layers of management. And, and what we're telling everyone is, you know, it'd be a lot better if you could just work this out at your level. Right. And then everyone's, everyone's like, ah, I, what am I supposed to do? Right, exactly. So, exactly. so um, and, and I learned from, we do a lot of work with the United States Armed Forces over the years, and I learned from a four-star general many years ago that uh, he, he, he told me um, that the only tool of leadership is communication. And, uh, I love it. <laughs> yeah, and he, he said, you know, the, 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 the problem is that so many people want to be leaders, but there's no rhyme or reason to how they communicate. Mm -hmm. So you have to put rhyme and reason into your communication. And when, when, when leaders tell people, oh, work it out at your own level, uh, they, they're, they're sort of skipping a step. Because right. uh, the other problem with, hey, if you don't have authority, just use influence. The other <laughs> problem with that is, well, somebody is in charge. Mm -hmm. I right. might get overruled. Uh, right. There are decisions being made. Uh, so, so if you want to be able to work things out at your own level, the first thing you've got to do is make sure you go vertical before you try to go sideways and diagonal. You got to go vertical. You got to make sure you know exactly what your boss uh, thinks, what your boss's boss thinks. What are the priorities uh, at the top and along the chain of command? What are the ground rules? What are the marching orders? Uh, and, and, and by the way, if you have direct reports, you've got to do the same for them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so sometimes people will say to me, well, what does that mean that every decision you got to go check with your boss? Yeah. Uh, and, 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 and here's what I say. If you don't know, you better, but you yeah. should know. You should right, know. And right. what vertical alignment means is that you're having enough rhyme and reason in your ongoing dialogue with your boss. You have enough structure and substance in your ongoing communication with your boss that you're vertically aligned. You already know what the priority is. Right. 
You know what the ground rules are. You know what the marching orders are. You, you nine out of 10 times, you could tell somebody exactly what your boss would say. Mm -hmm. Your direct reports should be able to do the same. So that instead of uh, people going over your head, you're going over your own head regularly. <laughs> and, exactly. and, and so that when you deal with somebody, they already know you are aligned. And think of it another way, right? When you deal with somebody and try to work things out at your own level and they're not aligned with their boss, what yeah. happens, right? You make, an, you make an arrangement, you make a plan, and then a couple of days later, the person comes back or worse, a couple of weeks later after right. you've wasted a lot right. of time and energy, the person comes back and says, oh yeah, I wasn't allowed to make that arrangement. Right. Sorry, oh, whoops, <laughs> yeah, my boss told me we can't do that. Yeah. So you gotta go vertical before you can go sideways or uh, diagonal, and that is the first step um, to being really good at uh, being able to make the right decisions for the right reasons on an basis. And at the same time, if you're building that relationship and getting that clarity up the chain and down the chain, then you're also building visibility as a, as a consequence and building influence as a consequence, not in a, you know, the smarmy way that that we, that we were talking about that. So yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, every manager would rather have somebody who is helping them manage you, you know, right. So, exactly. Exactly. You know, the the boss is wondering, what are you doing? They much prefer if you come to them and say, here's what I'm doing. Here's how, right. I'm doing. here's what I'm going to do next. Here's what I did. Here's what I'm working on. Hey, you know, if X should happen, do I do Y or Z? If mm -hmm. A happens, do I do B, C or D? Okay. Thanks. You know, and, and then you've got, you've got a, a structure and substance in your dialogue with your boss gives you both more confidence in each other. And it gives you the latitude uh, to go deal with people at your own level with confidence. And you become known as somebody who's aligned. Oh, well, that person doesn't speak for the boss, but they might as well. Right. Well, and you, you, the minion will say, has you get clarity and just preparing those questions for the bosses about what you're doing and where you're yeah. going. And you, so it's just a win-win all around. I Helps you that. stay organized and focused, right? Yes. Yes. It's great. Well, I, I know we, we don't have too much time left. I have two more questions. I want to, I want to, ask you I oh, got yeah. you. um so can i just give you the other steps though oh yeah sorry of course please um, do yeah i'll try to do it faster sorry <laughs> that's okay i get carried away um so so once you align vertically right mm -hmm. then you know what's not up to you right what decisions have already been made and the beauty of that is it gives you guardrails once you know all the stuff that's not up to you uh, then everything that's left is up to you. And this, then that helps you say no with it. Or yes, depend, right? Right, what? exactly. You've got your criteria set up for you. Absolutely, that's beautiful. Yes, yeah, so you got your vertical anchor. And then so step two is know when to say no and uh -huh. how to say yes. Because it, saying no, it's not how to say no. You can't sugarcoat your no. It's right. no. It's, it's, it's being, making really good decisions about yes and no. Mm -hmm. and, and it turns out the key to that is tuning into the ask. Ooh. So people are f constantly fielding requests 
And so much of what we have to say to each other at work is asking, but mm -hmm. we don't stop and really tune into the ask. And the beauty of that, by the way, is it's how you treat other people's needs with respect. Even if you say no, mm -hmm. at least you've really stopped and you do some due diligence. Hey, let me really understand what you're asking. Do a quick intake memo, take notes visibly. And then if, if you're not allowed to do it, you say, I'm not allowed to do it. If, if, right. if you can't do it, you say, I, I can't do it. I don't know how, or I don't right. have the time. Maybe I could do it later. And then, right. and, then, and then if you shouldn't do it, right, that's a judgment call. Mm -hmm. uh, you might say, well, there are other priorities. You might say, hey, that's a really bad idea, not just for me, but for you. Let me talk you out of it. Right. And, and, and you might be doing that person a huge favor. Right, and you're having a conversation of significance for both people involved and the company. Yeah, exactly. And then the, the other piece is how to say yes. Mm -hmm. You don't just say yes, you've got to say yes and make a plan. Every good oh, no. Love that. Right? So every good no is all about freeing up time for a better yes. Mm -hmm. And then the yes and a plan. Yes, let's make a plan. And, and let's make sure we understand how we're going to deal, how we're going to talk next, uh, who's going to do what, where, why, when, and when. Hey, let's make sure we got a good plan, right? So, because so, your yes is where all the action is. That's your chance to add Correct. value. Right. Then, then you work smart, right? Mm -hmm. and, 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 and I say, you know, the wisdom of it's not my job is what you're really saying is, some people are saying, I don't want to do that. Right. right. And and so that's that's bad attitude crowd, right? Right, right, right. <laughs> a lot of times what you're saying <laughs> a lot of times what you're saying is I, I'm not confident that I can do that very well very fast. Exactly. Right? It's not my specialty, is really right. what you're saying. Right. And 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 so um I say to folks, you know, anything that's gonna that you're gonna have to do uh, multiple times make it one of your specialties. And the way you do that is by professionalizing. Uh, you want to uh, have good best practices, good uh, job aids, good repeatable solutions. Right. And, 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 and then it becomes one of your specialties. And then right. those things that are not your job, okay, you have to decide, well, that one's not my job, but I should do it anyway. That one's not my job. Maybe it should become one of my new specialties. Right. So it's, it's, it's not the end of the conversation, but it's a good signal. Good. Yes. And then, then step four is finish what you start. Mm -hmm. uh, juggling leads to dropping balls. So it, yes, you have to have a longer and longer to-do list, but make sure you look at the gaps in your schedule and, uh, and, and, and set them aside for focused execution. So you want bigger chunks of time mm -hmm. and smaller chunks of work. Uh, so it's right. If you have an elephant, you can only eat one bite at a time, but you got to bite, right. bite, chew, swallow, bite, chew, swallow. <laughs> I got 30 minutes. How many bites of the elephant can I chew and swallow? So finish what you start, smaller chunks of work, bigger chunks of time. Um, and then the, the step five is if things go great, take note and plan the next collaboration. Um, and, and if things could go better, don't blame people behind their back, don't, oh, yeah. right? Don't point fingers. Don't go into a meeting and just be ready to be like, well, the reason that didn't happen is Mr. Mm. Blue never got me when I need it. Right. If, instead of finger pointing and blaming, have an after action review with mm -hmm. your uh, collaborator, the mm -hmm. person you're working with, 
um, and say, hey, let's look at what went well. Let's celebrate that. Uh, let's look at what could have gone better. And let's look around the corner and plan our next collaboration and, and, and plan for it to go better. And so those five steps, what I realized, it's just like taking a walk every day and eating your vegetables. But, <laughs> right. Right. But, but being a go-to person is a marathon, not a sprint. Right. So you've got to, you know, you got to take it one step at a time. You got to play the long game. You got to pace yourself. Right, right. Now, and all of these things, you know, you eventually, they become habits, they become structures, they become templates. And then you get a big fat raise and a promotion and you get new problems to solve. Yeah. <laughs> but also the more you have that reputation, the more people are going to take your word when you yes. say, no, right. So how do you end up saying no? You know, the, 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 the way is you have a reputation for making good decisions, for being aligned, for getting stuff done for people. So then when you say no, they know it's for exactly. Good so all of that creates less friction for you. So of course you're going to be so much more productive. And I love this framework. Excellent. So now that we're, you know, you finished this just before we all got to work from home. And of course, some of us are used to it and some of us are not. Um, do you see any particular applications for, you know, the remote workforce, people not uh, seeing each other on an everyday basis? Any, you know, tips or tricks that you have in being indispensable when you're not seeing people on a daily basis? Yeah, I mean, I say uh, that I didn't write this book for the pandemic, but I kind of feel like I almost might as well have because, <laughs> wow. because it, it, it people are, we're already operating in an environment of uncertainty. The uncertainty is even greater. Mm -hmm. People are already dealing with unclear lines of authority. Lines of authority are even less clear now. Uh, people uh, needed to really pay attention to structured communication before now, even more so. There's so many factors outside our control. When there's everything's out of control, what do you do? You focus on what you can control, which is- right. Right. And, and, you know, what go-to people, what the indispensables really have in common uh, is they know they can control how they show up, how they conduct themselves, how they interact with people. Uh, they, and, they, and they have enough confidence that uh, they're going to do the right thing uh, in the short term and over the longer term they're going to build that track record and they're going to build that reputation. So I think, look, people are, are very worried about their own well-being, their family, their friends. They're worried about their livelihood. Uh, probably people are much more worried now about being indispensable than they were. Unemployment was at 3.5%. Oh, right? I can tell you that. I mean, it the effect varies from company to company or from industry to industry. But yeah, absolutely. There are a lot of people more concerned about this now than they were in January. Uh, but yeah, I think you're right with that this pandemic has accelerated a lot of changes that were in place. And if you learn to manage that the situation now, you're going to be better placed to be indispensable uh, in the in well moving forward. And, and do you have any like ideas or you know some theories about what our next normal is going to look like? Say you know the fourth quarter of this year, first quarter of next year, like what practices are going to stay 
Do you have any, what is, what is your take on that? I, I, I'm not a futurist, but I can tell you what I'm seeing around the corner. Yeah, I would love is, to know that. Love yeah, I, I think there's just no doubt that a lot of work that we weren't sure could be done remotely, we're now learning, oh yeah, that can be done remotely. Yes. Um, and you know, a lot of people who weren't sure they wanted to work remotely are saying, oh yeah, I can do this. Um, I think a lot of business leaders, uh, you know, I mostly deal with C-level uh, business leaders when mm -hmm. I'm doing advisory work. And um, they're saying, well, gee, all this travel and entertainment budget, all this commercial real estate budget, um, uh, there's only but so yeah. much work, right? I'm kidding out. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> and especially with, you know, if, if the economy really spins into a deep uh, and longer uh, protracted recession, um, I think business leaders are going to be looking to cut. And where are they going to cut? commercial real estate, travel and entertainment. Um, and I think people are realizing, well, gee, if I had two hours of commuting, I can save an hour and work an extra hour. Right. And, and, and so there's, you know, some work needs to be done in the same place at the same time with others. Uh, some work needs to be done in a particular location, but not necessarily at the same time with others. Um, I think we're going to see um, a transformation. I, certainly, I mean, one thing I think you can take to the bank is there will be a much higher incidence and regularity of uh, people working remotely. Oh, yes, I agree. This, yes, Bruce, I, and, and I say, this is our time. You know, we were, this is, we were all, we're all here. So we're here to deal with this and to make it work and to make it better for everybody and to work better, you know, with the, the, new, the new situation and finding out that you don't need to meet face to face and you don't need to travel as much and you don't, you know, need to have that fancy address maybe that you were, um, well, hopefully, I don't know how commercial real estate's gonna do, but it'll be different also have to figure out to, you know, to may figure out different experiences that we crave or want or find out that they have a, a value that something that we haven't actually experienced yet, something that we can't imagine right now. So this has been so interesting and I love your approach and I think it's really uncanny how your timing because who knew that we would have this crazy, a virus come and shut down the country and some com many companies and industries seriously affected and work for so many people changed and here you are you know in July this book is coming out July 21st it is published by Harvard so um, that's pretty a fancy uh, recommendation there and people i think people will find this super useful um how to navigate the uncertainties that they're feeling because as a communication coach i get a lot of i'm not people coming to me like they're afraid to ask and and now they can read this book and understand why they need to ask for clarity and be proactive and go talk to their boss and and get that piece of get that vision so that they can make better decisions on being indispensable. So thank Absolutely. you, Bruce. Thank oh, well, you. thank you so much. And thank you for, for uh, making it so easy and so much fun to have the conversation.
No problem.